Well, good evening, Center Street Church. Woohoo! I heard one little woohoo. Someone's excited about the long weekend. There we go. It's great to be together, even in the midst of summer, right? In the dead of summer, here we are, August long weekend already. So we're glad to be with you. Uh, welcome to you, whatever campus you may be part of, if you're worshiping with us online. Uh, if you're at, here at Central Campus, or you're at Bridgeland Campus, or Airdrie Campus, or Bearspaw Campus, or if you've been where we've been most of the last 10 months or so, down at South Campus. And I think you can hear them cheering right now if you listen really carefully. They always cheer whenever South Campus is said. All 60 of us jump up and do a dance. So we're glad to be able to be here together. Uh, we're Greg and Sarah. We've been at Center Street a long time. Um, in fact, August 1st, this Monday, will be the 20th year anniversary of us being on staff and here at Center Street Church. So it's kind of fun that we get to, to share together. Um, I'm pastor of spiritual development, which basically means adult discipleship, a whole bunch of stuff that gathered together under there. And Sarah and I have done a bunch of stuff in that area together over the last number of years, especially teaching together. Uh, but this is a first for us to be able to share God's Word together in this format, so we're, we're thrilled to be able to do it with you this evening. So as a church, we're on this sermon series looking at Moses' life through the book of Exodus. And today we're in Exodus 4, and we see Moses' insecurities. And I strongly relate to him in this. In fact, one way of viewing my life would be to see it as a timeline of me addressing my inadequacies and insecurities again and again. For example, when I was in junior high, I lived my life as an apology for my existence. I firmly believed that I was flawed at my very core, and so I didn't walk through my school. I cowered. I just tried to stay invisible. Uh, this way of thinking stemmed from some early childhood trauma that I had and repeated losses. But I learned to hide it. But it was still underneath. Uh, when I was in my early 20s, God dealt with a good chunk of it by enabling me to experience His love for me personally, not just globally. He let me know that He wanted to adopt me as His own daughter. And my life has never been the same since I received that from Him. However, He didn't just snap His fingers and erase all of my insecurities and my feelings of inadequacy. He keeps dealing with them, one at a time. A kind of silly example is that it, it's about me loving to sing. I really love to sing. I've been in choirs my whole life. I sang in the CSC choir for 10 years, and that was great. But I was always terribly insecure about my voice. I, I attached my sense of value to how good a singer I was. That's silly, but we do that, don't we? We take weird things and we attach our sense of value to them. Um, so I would never let anybody hear me sing by myself. I would never attempt a solo because if anyone would have thought I wasn't good, that would have been devastating. You can see the pride and the insecurity in that at the same time. I was making my singing all about me. And lately, over the past few years, God has been inviting me, inviting us, into a different way of living that has impacted all of my issues, including how I think about my voice. I see my story strongly reflected in Moses' story. So as we're going to see tonight in Moses' life, we can be going along in our lives, we can be following Jesus, 
Uh, we can be seeking to hear his voice and his call, like we heard about last weekend, and follow him into that call, what he's calling us to do. But sometimes as we're going about seeking to follow him in his call, we run smack into this overpowering wall, this steel or brick or whatever wall that seems impenetrable. It's a wall of our insecurities. And what happens when, that, when we do that? What, what do we do with that? How do we work through that? Well, we're going to look at Moses' story again, this time in Exodus chapter 4, to pick up where we left off last week. So this is part B of what Pastor Ashman started last week, because this Exodus 3 and 4 really go together. So if you're able, please stand. I will read it. It's kind of a longer passage, so you can listen along. But uh, if you're able, stand, and um, we'll read God's Word together. Moses answered, What if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, The Lord did not appear to you? Then the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, Throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground, and it became a snake, and he ran from it. <laughs> then the Lord said to him, Reach out your hand, take it by the tail. So Moses reached out, took hold of the snake, and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. Then the Lord said, put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand into his cloak, and when he took it out, the skin was leprous. It had become as white as snow. Now put it back into your cloak, he said. So Moses put it back into his cloak, and when he took it out, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. Then the Lord said, if they do not believe you or pay attention to the first sign, they may believe the second. It's almost as if God isn't sure he trusts people to respond to him. If they don't believe the first, they might believe the second. And then he goes on to say this, but if they do not believe these two signs or listen to you, take some water from the Nile, pour it out on the dry ground, and the water you take from the river will become blood on the ground. Here's Moses' response. Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. He's changing the topic here. I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? <clears throat> now go. I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. But Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses. And he said, what about your brother, Aaron the Levite? I know he can speak well. He is already on his way to meet you, and he will be glad to see you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. I will help both of you speak and will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you, and it will be as if he were your mouth and as if you were God to him. But take the staff in your hand so you can perform the signs with it. Let's pray together. Lord, we want to take a moment to acknowledge your presence here, to enjoy your presence here. Lord, I'm so thankful that you keep revealing yourself to us so that we can learn to trust you because we know you. We know your kindness. We know that you are for us. And so, Lord, because of that, we surrender our whole selves to you. We do that again right now as we have been doing throughout our singing time. Lord, have your way tonight. I trust that you will communicate to each person here tonight what you have for them, even if it doesn't have anything to do with what we say. Mm. Lord, have your way tonight, and we 
we gladly follow you. In your authority, I pray. Amen. Thanks. You can be seated. Now, before we jump into our main theme, just want to take a couple of minutes to look at the context of Exodus 4. Uh, this is a long time ago, right? Thousands of years ago. And so it helps us to look at the historical cultural context. What did some of these things mean to these people? So the first thing is this is a typical call narrative, right? So this is one of the ways God calls his prophets, his people. Um, you see this in uh, Judges 6 with Gideon when he calls Gideon. You see this in Jeremiah chapter 1 when he calls Jeremiah. There is this progression of the call. And it's happening here as well in Exodus 4. So God appears, he speaks, he commissions the prophet. Then the prophet responds by objecting. Isn't that a great rhythm? God's used to this. <laughs> the prophet objects in some way. And then God provides reassurance. And then finally God provides some kind of a sign or signs. So this is typical. This is the first time it's happening because Moses is the first great prophet. Uh, secondly, Exodus 3 and 4, like I mentioned, go together. So we've got to remember, when we start reading verse 1 tonight, we're still at the burning bush, right? That's where this debate is going on. We're on hallowed ground. <laughs> um, and we'll talk a bit more about that later. Um, so God, uh, Moses already asked God two questions in Exodus chapter 3. Basically, the first question was, who am I that I should go? And the second one was, God, who are you? I need to be able to tell them who the God is who is sending me to them. And by the end of Exodus 3, God has already answered all these questions. So really, the conversation should be over. God's already said, Moses, here's who I am. I am the great I am. Uh, here's secondly who you are and what your role will be. And here's thirdly what the plan is. I've got the game plan. I've got it all figured out. The strategy is laid in place. You don't have to try to figure that out. In fact, I can already tell you what the replies are going to be and what I'm going to reply to them. I can see how it's all going to unfold. So Moses, let's go. It's time to free my people from slavery. And you think Moses would be like, yeah. Like, you know, it's a, it's a fist bump moment. You know, Moses and Yahweh, and they're going off. Instead, what happens is Moses is far from ready. And he just starts pushing back, question after question. Like three times he pushes back against God in Exodus chapter 4. He's hit the brick wall of his own insecurities. God gave Moses these three signs. I want to touch on that real briefly. These are things that are relevant for Moses. These sound kind of random, at least to me. I'm not used to these kinds of signs. I don't usually have a stick when I'm walking in the Rockies and throw it down and it becomes a snake. I would also run from it, but I've never seen that. So these are familiar because this, this is what Pharaoh's magicians did. Remember later in the story when Moses goes and stands before Pharaoh, he throws down his staff. They throw down their staffs, and their staffs become snakes. Of course, what happens with Moses' snake? It swallows up the other snakes, if you remember that story. So what God is already showing here, a foretaste of that, foreshadowing, is that God's power is greater than Egypt's magicians. Secondly, this leprous hand that then becomes healed. Really simply, I think that's God showing his power over the physical body, over the physical realm. And we see that in the ten plagues, God's power over the physical realm. And then thirdly, we see water to blood. And now the significance here is not just any old water. This is the water from the Nile River. And in Egypt, remember, Moses has lived there his whole life. And for the first 40 years anyway, Israelites have been there for 400 years. So they are steeped in this way of thinking. Everybody knows, Egyptians and Israelites alike, that life comes through the Nile River. Like literally, if, if there's no irrigation off the Nile, the crops are dead, it's a drought, people are dying. Right? And we hear about droughts and famines in Egypt throughout Scripture. And so this is, in the, in the Egyptian way of thinking, this is a powerful spiritual um, 
representation as well, the Nile River. A lot of gods and religious worship is tied to the Nile. So this is God saying, I have power over the Nile. I have power over all of Egypt's gods. So God's power surpasses everything. These are powerful signs. And they're meant to not just convince the Israelites when Moses goes to them, but to convince Moses. And what's Moses' response? These still don't impact this ironclad wall of his insecurities. That seems to take precedence, even over the almighty God's power of the whole universe. So what's really going on here? This, doesn't this seem a little strange to you? That this one human being has this divine revelation. God reveals himself, speaks to him repeatedly, and he just keeps pushing, and God allows him. Like, why? If I'm God, I don't think I'm as patient as God is here. Because he just keeps pushing back. And I, I've just told Moses, if I'm God, I, I have the power. I'll do it. And Moses is like, yeah, but I don't have the power. I, I know. I have it. <laughs> and he's just not getting it. Well, here's what's going on, I think. God is allowing Moses to throw out his questions and to reveal his insecurities, to get it out there so that he can start to address it and that God can address it. See, God doesn't just want to use Moses uh, for his will, his purposes. He also wants to have a friendship with Moses. Not just so Moses obeys, but so Moses knows him. Later on, Moses is actually called that. He's called the friend of God, right? David is a man after God's own heart. Moses is called a friend of God because he speaks to God face to face. And that's what's happening here. Remember Hebrews 11? Moses is called this great man of faith. How does he get to be that great person of faith? We're seeing it right here in Exodus 4. We're seeing leadership character development, 101, as God decides to allow Moses to spew out his stuff and sit with him in his insecurities. It's just amazing that God does that. So here's our main theme. God chooses to meet us in the midst of our insecurity, and he gives us himself, which is actually all we need to do, what he's calling us to do. Let me say that again. God, instead of getting rid of our insecurities, God chooses to meet us in our insecurities and to give us himself. And that's actually all we need to do what God's calling us to do. So let's look at some more details of what God is offering Moses in Exodus 3 and 4. When God refers to himself as I am in Exodus 3, he's revealing who he is to Moses. This is the God of Moses' ancestors, whom he has heard about from his parents and his grandparents. And now he's standing right in front of Moses and saying, I am drawing close to you, Moses. I'm offering you my presence. I am. I have always been, and I am right now for you. Do we realize that the same God of Moses is also present right here? in this place for us right now. We are standing on holy ground. You are sitting on holy ground. You can take off your shoes if you want. Because we have the living Spirit of God living in us. So actually, we're, since we're temples of the Holy Spirit and we have Jesus in us, we're walking around all the time on holy ground. Believers maybe should go barefoot all the time. Um, the great I am offers nothing less than himself to each of us today. Will you receive this? So when God offers himself, 
he offers himself graciously. And I've alluded this, to this already, but in this discussion, this debate, whatever you want to call this between God and Moses, God's revealed his whole self to Moses, and Moses responds the way he does with questions. And I love this commentator who says it this way, even though this is holy ground, and we think you know, God would normally just say, you're out of line, burned to a crisp, little one, right? Here's actually what happens. This commentator says this, God's holiness invites rather than repels human response. Isn't that amazing? God's holiness actually invites, not repels, human response. He invites Moses into this genuine conversation. He invites us to share our questions. Just like I referred to, Moses growing in faith so that by Hebrews 11, he's referred to as a man of faith. You don't get there in one day, folks. In fact, in Moses, we see that decades of development. And that's the same that's true in us. God's incredibly gracious to us as well. He knows us by name. Scripture says that. And, and that just doesn't mean he, he knows it. Oh, yes, this is Greg and this is Sarah and around the room. No, when it says name, it means who we are. He knows our identity. He knows all of our insecurities, just like he knew Moses. He knows all of our issues, all of our pain, all of our sin, all of our, our addictions and the things we, you know, the habits, all of those things, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And he calls us by name. And at the end of time in heaven, he'll give us a new name that he only knows. That's how intimate the relationship is between our creator God and us. So even though he's holy, he invites us in our questions and our fears and doubts and says, yes, bring them. Lay them out before me. Let's look at those things together and let's address that, shall we? He invites our questions. And God offers his power. Moses' insecurities are similar to ours, aren't they? In chapter 4, verse 1, Moses says, what if people won't listen to me? Have you ever been uh, concerned about somebody's response to you? <laughs> Maybe. In verse 10, he says, what if I don't have what it takes? Oh, there are his inadequacies. We can relate to that too. God addresses Moses' insecurity head on through those three powerful signs and through reminding Moses that he is Moses' sovereign creator. Now, some commentators believe that Moses being slow of speech and tongue refers to an actual speech impediment. Perhaps he had a stuttering issue or something more serious. Or maybe he's just paralyzingly self-conscious like I was. But do you see the little bit of irony here? He's fine communicating with the holy God, but he's insecure about communicating God's message with others. Can any of us relate to that? God's response in verse 11 to Moses talking about how he can't talk very well is tricky. It can sound like he is the one who inflicts suffering on people because he mentions that he's uh, making people deaf or blind or not. But to the Hebrew people, God is all-powerful. So whether he does an action directly or allows it, they could see, it, they could see that uh, that was part of his character, um, not mean. But um, we can see it sounds to us like God is willing suffering. But when we look at the whole scriptural canon, we see that God's heart is not for suffering. We see that he allows it, but he's not mean. 
In fact, look at him through Jesus. In Jesus, he draws near to suffering. He enters into it. He experiences it himself in multiple ways over multiple amounts of time. And then, best of all, he dies to redeem suffering. But actually, the point here in this passage is not really about that theological issue. It's that God is sovereign. And in effect, God is saying to Moses, listen, you think I don't know about your issues? I am very well acquainted with all of your issues and all of your stuff. And look at me, it doesn't bother me. Because I can more than compensate for them. And I can redeem them. But Moses doesn't believe that. Like Moses, it's easy for us to accept our abilities and God's sign of power in our lives. But we have a harder time accepting when God chooses to work through our limitations. But I tell you from personal experience, I'd love to hear your stories too. There is an intimacy and a connection with him when we do. And do we ever experience his power firsthand? There's nothing like it. So God offers us himself, and in that he offers us his grace and his power. And the last thing we see here in Moses' story is that God offers people. He offers support to Moses. So God's heard and addressed all of Moses' fears, and he still refuses to go. It kind of sounds a bit like another guy in the story later on named Pharaoh, right? Remember Pharaoh? Let my people go. Pharaoh says, no. And here's Moses, God saying, Moses, let's go rescue. And he says, no. Not a lot different sometimes between the hero and the villain in <laughs> some of the stories in the Bible. And finally, God gets angry. He shows his emotions. But he still doesn't give up on Moses. That's the amazing part. He could, he could slap Moses silly right at this point and say, you know, shake him like, what are you thinking? Have you not heard? I'm enough. But no, instead, he says, you know, Moses, I'll address that concern as well. I'll provide Aaron to help you. In fact, later he provides Miriam and he provides Joshua and Caleb and other leaders because God wants us to be in community. He wants even leaders to be in a leadership community. He wants people to support, encourage, and challenge and mentor us. And that's just another sign as God offers people to Moses, he's offering again his grace right, and his power. We forget that the God of the Old Testament has all of the characteristics of the fruits of the Spirit because it's his spirit. So I just love this. We, we see in scripture that God gets angry, but he, it's not a wrathful anger. He still shows his kindness, his patience, his gentleness, his self-control. And he gives Moses what Moses is asking for. But let's think about why God got angry. As we investigate that, we find the whole point, the main point of this whole passage that God is offering himself as enough to Moses, and Moses is choosing to miss out. Even after God has addressed all Moses' concerns, Moses continues to make this all about himself. He's fixated on himself. We see this kind of through his life. When he was 40 and murdered the Egyptian slave driver, he seemed fixated on his own abilities and his power, his, like, the, his positional authority. 
He was trying to write a terrible injustice, enslavement, but he was doing it in his own strength and his own initiative. Now, when he's 80, look at all the initiative God himself is taking. He is called by God to free God's people from slavery, but now he's fixated on his inadequacies. God offers himself, all of himself, to Moses, his compassion, his companionship, his power, his words, everything. And Moses cannot or will not receive that truth that God will do the heavy lifting for Moses. Don't we do the same thing? We fixate on ourselves. We think everything depends on us. We just need to know what God is calling us to do on any given day or thematically in our lives, and then go do it, and that will honor God. But in doing so, we bounce between either feeling totally self-sufficient or paralyzed, like we absolutely don't have what it takes to do anything right. But it's really not about us and our competency or lack thereof at all. It's about God's competency. Like Ashwin said last week, the question is never, are you going to do great things for God? But instead it is, are you going to allow God to do great things for you and let him define greatness? The difference between these approaches is impossible to overemphasize. The difference is where there is a potential for so much life change. Do you see how God keeps offering? to do the heavy lifting for Moses. We could go through that whole scripture passage and highlight it all. But if we're looking at all of scripture, we see the same theme. God is offering to do the heavy lifting for his people all along. And usually they refuse and get into a mess. God offers that to us as well. Let's look at Jesus's life. Did Jesus offer this? Hmm. Jesus exemplifies this. We see it not only in what he says, but in how he lived. But today we're just looking at a couple of things he says. And this is great, great news. I hope you can receive it. In Matthew 11, verses 28 to 30, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Remember that a yoke is a wooden bar put across the shoulders of two oxen to keep them together. And actually, enslaved people often had yokes put on their necks to keep them together too. It's a terrible picture. And so, for some people, having the idea of taking anybody's yoke is not good news. And being stuck with anybody forever is not good news either. Having to submit to that yoke? No thank you. Do you know what makes this really good news? Incredible good news? when we know and trust the one making the offer. Jesus offers his yoke to us. Why? 
for one thing, he's offering to do life with us all the time. We never have to do life on our own. We can unpack that for the rest of our lives. But secondly, this is really moving to me, his end is a heavy end. He offers his carrying abilities. He says his yoke is easy to bear and the burden he gives us is light because he's offering to carry the heavy stuff for us. When we know and trust the one making that offer, not just a cognitive trust, like the deciding, I'm just gonna trust him more. I know I'm supposed to, so I'm gonna trust him more. No, but when we're actually getting to know him better and better all the time because he reveals himself to us, when we're actually being intentional about soaking in his love for us on a regular basis, receiving it, and you know, that's one of the very hardest things for all people. I don't care how long you've been a follower of Jesus. That's one of the hardest things for us to do, is to actually receive that we are the beloved and to live accordingly. It changes everything, though. When we do, we're sitting like Mary at Jesus' feet and enjoying him. We can also live intentionally in a posture of abiding, like John, uh, Jesus invites us to do in John 15. He says, abide in me. Another word for abide is dwell or make your home. Make your home, make your dwelling place me. And you will bear much fruit because I will bear it through you. You don't have to worry about the fruit outcome. It'll happen. When we live this way, we will grow in love and trust. We won't have to tell ourselves or try to work it up. We will grow in love and trust because we're really getting to know him and our lives will change. And I say this from personal experience. As Greg and I have been practicing this for the past few years, he has been changing us like never before. He's been bearing fruit, kingdom fruit through us like never before and it's incredible. And this is radical life change for people who've been following Jesus for decades and loving it. Like we thought we had it good before. <laughs> this is so much better. Anyway, we've been following for decades and there's still more. I love that so much. Look at Moses' life. He was 80 years old and he was just touching the tip of the iceberg of all that God was and all that God was revealing to him and offering him of himself. I'm in my 50s, and I know there's an infinite amount more left of the iceberg for me to get to know and enjoy and explore and live out. And that, like, that's, there's nobody like our God. There's always so much more that God is offering of himself. Please take it. It makes life so much easier, so much better. Going back to the story of me and singing, I could tell that I was inappropriately making my voice um, so uh, inextricably part of my identity. I didn't want that. It was ridiculous. And for years, I tried to fix myself but I couldn't. But after practicing this lifestyle of abiding, letting God love me, listening to him, listening for his good news, 
for a few years, God didn't even have to address that singing issue. <laughs> Recently, I noticed that it no longer has a grip on me. I know what God thinks of me because I ask him on a regular basis. I know who I am in him, and I'm getting to know him more and more and more. I know him to be enough for me, and I trust him in new ways. He's empowering me in so many ways that don't have anything to do with singing. But the singing issue is included. I just had a little karaoke party, <laughs> and I sang a solo. And I didn't care, and I still don't, what people thought of it. I just had fun doing it. And you guys, that was such a spiritual breakthrough for me. Who knew that a karaoke party could be a spiritual breakthrough? <laughs> <laughs> and guess who bought her the karaoke machine for Christmas? <laughs> Thank That's you. That's the only credit I get. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, does this mean that I never feel insecure anymore and that I never feel inadequate? Um, absolutely not. I'm sure I will feel insecure after this tonight and next week when I start something that I've never done before. But now, I'm more practiced at knowing what to do when that happens. The answer is reiterated in what Jesus says in John 7, verses 37 and 38. The scripture reads, on the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Now look at this verse. According to this, believing in Jesus means drinking from him, right? It's so much more than intellectual assent or about believing the right things about him. It's about receiving from him, drinking him in. Do you see how this parallels what happened with Moses? Jesus, just like God, because they are one, Jesus is offering himself again as enough for us. This constant invitation to drink from him. There are pretty dramatic results from drinking from Jesus according to this passage. Rivers of living water, Holy Spirit flow pouring from us, touching the people in our world, touching the very world itself, kingdom stuff, Holy Spirit overflow. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> so what is this drinking from him? This is not exhaustive. As we enjoy God, that's drinking from him. As we let God do the heavy lifting, any heavy lifting in our lives, that's drinking from him. As we receive his offer of himself for any moment of any of our days, that's drinking from him. And what happens? Holy Spirit overflow. We overflow with him. His call on our lives is not burdensome. It overflows. It doesn't mean it's not easy, but it overflows out of our lives. He does the heavy lifting part. We just get to cooperate with what he's doing. Um, yeah, he is the one who produces the kingdom fruit, just like he did in Moses' life. Hallelujah. So we have looked at how Moses is learning how to acknowledge his insecurities, place them before Yahweh, and then over his life, 
we see him growing into a person of faith because he enters into this incredible relationship with Yahweh where God is enough for him, where he sees him face to face and drinks from him constantly. We see that in Jesus exemplifying that in his life, depending on the Father, not living out of his own divine power. He's setting that aside, Philippians 2. Still God, but setting aside his divine power and living in dependence on the Holy Spirit to whatever the Father tells him to do. And then we see Paul referencing this. It's all the way through Scripture. That's what we're saying. This is the Christian life, people. This is the life of following Jesus. Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, 9 talks about this. Right? He's got a weakness, and he wants God to get rid of it. Whatever it might be, physical ailment, something else. Maybe it was a speech impediment for Paul, too. Who knows? Something he didn't like, right? So think of your, you know, least favorite insecurity, the one you never want to talk about. God, take this away. Sometimes God does take away this stuff. Sometimes God does do that in us. And that's, sometimes he physically heals us, all those things, and that's wonderful. But other times, God speaks to us like he did to Paul, and he says, my grace is sufficient for you. We heard this verse earlier tonight. My grace is sufficient, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And the word made perfect also can be translated revealed, made known, right? It's the light shining through the crack pot. Have you heard of that? We're the crackpots, and God's glory shines through even our cracks. So even our weaknesses become something God uses. God, Paul can even say this, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. In other words, Paul's saying, I've got some strengths. I'm not really, I don't really care that much about my strengths anymore. I'll use them. But I'm really boasting about my weaknesses because that's when it's only God, and everyone knows that, me included. <laughs> it's just God breaking through, and, and, and stuff happens like doesn't happen any other way. Like Paul, we can also discover that our limitations and insecurities actually can serve to lead us back to God and deeper into God, to depend more on Him, to do what David says in Psalm 63, my soul clings to Him. That's all I can do with my insecurities. I can just cling to Him, and then His right hand upholds me. Our insecurities can point us back to God, so we depend more on Him than our abilities, right? And God's given us Himself and His presence and His power, and we start to discover. Only because we have insecurities and need to depend on God do we start to discover just how much His power can flow through us when we believe and live as if He is enough for us. So, what's your response in your spirit and your mind? What's rattling around? in your mind and heart around this? How is God inviting you to respond? Our main theme, again, has been this. Instead of getting rid of our insecurity, God chooses to meet us in the midst of our insecurity and to give us himself, which is actually all we need to do what he's calling us to do. Maybe it's a call to parenting and you're freaked out because you've got kids along the way or you're having, you've got kids and it's challenging. What's the call? What's, what's the insecurities you're feeling around parenting? What about maybe it's God's calling you to move to another place or to a different job, maybe to interact with a neighbor who you don't like or you just don't interact with your neighbors and he's calling you to get out and meet people who don't know Jesus instead of just be comfortable in a church all the time. Maybe it's a call to take a Sabbath rest and your insecurities kick into gear because if I'm not doing anything, then am I worth anything, Right? Whatever the call is that God's calling us to, God offers you himself. And in him, this is a fact, 
you have all the life, all the power, all the grace you need in him. You have all the significance and the confidence that you need to obey his calling. doesn't mean you don't feel the emotions of fear, but it means you can obey and do it anyway when relying on him because he who calls us is faithful to equip us and empower us. Two pictures I want to give that describe how, God can res- how we can respond to God's call. The first one is one I think we often do, and it doesn't help us. The second one is the one that Jesus offers. The first picture is a picture of a coin. When you flip a coin, you've got, what's, what's one side of the coin? Heads. Other side is? Tails. So let's just say heads represents, if I flip the coin on a given day, God calls me to do something, and it comes up heads. You know what? I feel pretty uh, equipped. I feel strong. These, this is my gifting. Uh, I feel I can do this. This is awesome. I can't wait. And we just jump in there, maybe even, don't, oh yeah, God, thanks for telling me about that. And then we just leave him in the dust as we go off and do stuff, right? That's us feeling strong and secure and feeling empowered. Tails, we flip it. Oh, God, I feel really insecure about this. I don't send someone else, right? We use, we use Moses' words. Well, you know, let's get rid of the coin altogether because it's a roller coaster ride. Have you experienced that? It, you, don't, you can't control that coin. You can try to say, I'm going to live my life and try to make heads come up as much as possible so that I'll feel capable. I'll feel strong and able to do what God's calling me to do. I just encourage you, get off the roller coaster. It just makes you want to throw up. <laughs> it's not a good life to live. There's another way. Because the roller coaster is all about me. Pride and low self-esteem are two sides of exactly the same coin. And the coin is, do I feel good about myself or do I feel lousy about myself? It's all about myself. God says, it's about me, himself. And as we come to him, he restores who we really are. He frees us up. He says, I'm a spring. I'm a waterfall. Come and stand in me. I'm going to soak. I'm going to pour myself into you. If you'll just stand still for a while (laughs) and receive what I'm offering, you will get filled up. And we all receive from God in different ways. Find the ways that you can receive what we're talking about. God's life pouring into you first. Not his call. First it's into you. And let him fill you and satisfy you. Give you your identity back again. Not tied to what you're doing for him, but just because you're his child and he loves you. And out of that, we can then respond to his call. And his living water then flows to others. Not our water. It's his, right? That flows to others. This is how God wants to accomplish his will through our lives. He invites us into that spring. What happens when we get stuck by living by the coin? Because we're going to get drawn back into that old way. This is the best advice I can give. Go back to God's presence. When you find yourself feeling insecure or proud, flipping back and forth, just go back, go back to the bush. Back to the holy ground. Spend time sitting at Jesus' feet. Rediscover who you are. Maybe discover more about who God is and who you are. Spend time soaking in him, hearing his voice, receiving his forgiveness, his healing, his grace, his compassion. Going to God and trusting that he is enough does something powerful. It actually opens us up. When we go to him and trust him, it opens us up to receive his presence and his power in new and deeper ways. And he wants us to live that way day by day. And when we forget about it, he doesn't say, you're a bad person. He just says, come back to me. Let's reorientate you again. Set you back on your feet. And uh, let me flow into you and through you to others. So I'm going to take a minute just of quiet here. Close your eyes if it helps. Uh, Grab a pen and jot this down if it helps. But I want us to listen 
what is the good news that God is saying to you personally? What is the next step that he's inviting you to take? God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, God of Moses, you are the great I am. We acknowledge that today, Father. And we are standing, sitting on holy ground because you're here. And thank you that even in our pride and our insecurities, you offer us that amazing, powerful gift of yourself. You just keep offering it day in, day out. We declare today the truth that you are enough. Even if we don't believe it all the time, we declare it to be true. That when we live in you and in your living water, you do satisfy us more than any created thing can. You, the creator, satisfy us. Your grace is sufficient for us. You even use our weaknesses to reveal your glory and accomplish your purposes more. That's amazing. So we bring our weaknesses and our strengths and our whole selves, our questions, our confusions, we bring it all to your presence again. We declare that we are no longer slaves to fear. That is not who you created us to be. Through Jesus, we are no longer slaves to fear or insecurity or inadequacy. For we are children of the Almighty God. By your grace, that's who we are. So lead us into a deeper experience of that in every call that you have on our lives. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.